Hey folks, this podcast goes beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Kathy Riley is an attorney as a sole practitioner in Loveland, Colorado. Her practice emphasis is in civil litigation and mediation, with a particular interest in agricultural, equine, and rural issues. Kathy also teaches law at CSU and is a guest lecturer in the CSU Equine Sciences program. She is a graduate of the University of Denver College of Law, and prior to her private practice, Kathy was general counsel for the Colorado Department of Agriculture as an assistant attorney general. She has also practiced law as the deputy district attorney in Jackson County, Colorado, and as a major in the judge. Advocate General Corp in the Colorado Army National Guard and the Army Reserves. Kathy was appointed to the Colorado State Board of Stock Inspection Commissioners, and she is active in the Colorado Bar Association with seats in the Agricultural and Rural Law Council and the Litigation Council and representation of the Agricultural and Rural Law Section of the CBA Board of Governors. She's got quite the credentials. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today and tell us about your journey. Thank you, Kate. Can you give us a synopsis? of your job so your day-to-day just a general view so people can understand what it is that you do now okay in the fall my my life is somewhat convoluted because I'm adding both um, teaching and in, in into my law practice so um, I teach Monday Wednesday and Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. and then uh, do some office hours at the at CSU then come back to the office and do a full-time practice fall can be really long days I can usually Easy. be doing like yeah 12 hour type days to to try to get everything everything accomplished within the time period. Yeah, for sure. What are some of just a general look at sort of your clients here at the law office? Right now I have a number of clients that are actually construction type clients. I do some construction defect work um, as well as some uh, mechanics liens and collection on on contracts and subcontracts, also writing contracts with them. So I'm kind of that little group of clientele going that direction. Um, and then I also have a, another group of clientele that are primarily horse issues. Um, and so they're they're pretty active right now as well. Very cool. Well, we'll dig into CSU here in a little bit and your teaching there. Um, but let's talk about what's sort of a typical day for you when you get into the office, what it starts with, what it ends with. You know, are you meeting with clients? Is it phone calls? Is it emails? Is it, are you whipping out books and looking up, you know, laws and going back and referring? Uh, I mean, what's that daily like? Yeah, typically the um, I spend most of the first part of the morning going through um, emails and, and voicemails to make sure that I don't have anybody left hanging from the day before. And then I spend a lot of time on the computer either doing legal research or drafting documents that either no, need to go to court or a document that a client might need for some purpose like a contract or an easement agreement or something like that. I do a fair amount of court time and so that kind of gets interspersed in between my other activities. Sure. And then meet with clients here at the office as well as I have clients where actually I don't ever meet them at the office. They're, they're remote clients by phone. And there's some variety there, which is nice. I mean, between construction and equine and rural and civil, sounds like you get a little bit of everything. I do. And I th- a lot of it is still based on litigation. So it's it's like the subject matter might change a little bit, but the trial practice is pretty typical between all of them. Gotcha. And you said um, you spend some time in the courts. Like how often on average are you sitting in a courtroom? I mean, on a really busy week, it could be a couple days a week. On most weeks, it might be one day a week. Try Trials get set, but usually they settle, which is kind of typical in, in Colorado law. So I have my I might have a trial a couple, three times a year at the most. Oh, okay. Yeah, most of them do settle out, and the court appearances are usually kind of a short appearance for some purpose. 
Sure. Well, I think uh, that's sort of a myth that we just busted right there. (laughs) What's another myth about being a lawyer and can you bust it? The other one I think would be that there's something glamorous to trial practice and and it really, (laughs) it's really not glamorous. It's a lot of late nights and putting together paperwork and, and hauling big boxes in and out of the courtroom and there's a lot of labor intensive work involved and, and not a whole lot of glamour. Sure. But once you're there it's actually fun. I mean, it's it's a challenging sort of mental activity so it is really fun once you get going. But I believe that. Let's talk a little bit more about your education and your experience. So what led you here? I mean from college through to where you are today like not the nitty-gritty details, but just high level so we have an idea of what your journey was like. Sure. I didn't actually take a direct course, so it's kind of an interesting process. My first degree was actually in nursing, so that's what my bachelor's degree was in. And I worked as a a nurse both in the hospital. I did mostly ERs and ICU, CCU, and and that kind of stuff. Um, Then I did public health nursing for a while, and that's what paid my way through law school. I had kind of a, a first career, and then the second career was law. When I graduated from law school, I was lucky to get the first job I had with the attorney general's office, and, and that gave me the chance then to really focus on agriculture and, and from there it was just sort of off and running. It all fell into place after that, huh? It did, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And where'd you go to school again? And My bachelor's degree is from um, UNC in Greeley. Nice. Yeah, so it's a nursing degree and then um, I did law school at DU. Perfect. Um, well, can we talk a little bit more about the Colorado State Board of Stock Inspection Commissioners and what your role is with that or has been with that? The State Board of Stock Inf- Inspection Commissioners is actually the controlling board over brand inspection in Colorado and the board is a five-member board. Four of the members are related to the cattle industry, whether they're with the feeding industry or whether they're in kind of cow-calf production. It used to be called the, the cowboys and the feeders. We had two cowboys and two <laughs> feeders, uh, but now they all kind of have different different sorts of practices, but still, I think, carry that with them. Um, and then the fifth seat is what would be the next highest level of inspected livestock, um, and that happens to be horses. And so I was appointed to that seat when I was still with Colorado Horse Council. So they had kind of selected me to be the one that would step forward to do that. So I was appointed and then you have to go through a selection by the governor and then you have to do an interview with the Senate. And at that point, your Senate approved and you stay then in the position for, you can stay up to two terms at this point. So that's two four-year terms. No better representative. The Colorado Horse Council chose wisely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, for listeners who may not live in a brand inspection state or may not be as familiar, can you sort of explain what that is just on a high level? Sure. Actually, the western states are where you will find brand inspections. And what we do as a brand inspection state is that anytime there's a change of ownership of a horse, then we do inspect the horse to make sure that the the person who's either selling or transferring has legal right to do that. And then they issue an immediate bill of sale to the buyer or whoever has been transferred the horse. So it's a, a documentation kind of process where you get the right paperwork, but it's also an identification process to make sure that, that it's a transaction that is solid with, with a, a seller who actually has right to sell and it's not a stolen animal. The other big piece that we do is deal with lost and stolen animals. Mm-hmm. So if you have a horse that is stolen in Colorado, Brand Inspection Division is the one that will do the investigation to try to find that horse for you. It's a big role. Very important. So the board itself then oversees those functions um, or what is their hand in all of that? 
Yeah, the board itself, I, um, we look at, we're, we're the ones who actually um, input on who is hired. If there are problems from the industry that are brought forward where maybe they're not happy with the service that they were receiving or whatever, they bring those to us. We keep track of the budget for the brand inspection division. If there's any change in the rules or regulations pertaining to brands, it goes through the board for voting and approval. So it's kind of the oversight sure. board. Perfect. Thank you. That's that's really helpful. Probably the most common misconception when people say brand inspection is they think you actually have to brand your horse, and you, you don't. Oh, sure. Um, and, and it really is like a, an ownership paper trail kind of activity. If you think of it like, you know, you have to register your car and it gets a title, the same thing happens with a horse. You, you essentially get a title yeah. through that process. But no, you don't have to have a, a brand, and I think that's a common misconception. That's great clarification. Let's um, jump over now and talk about your role as the Assistant Attorney General and what your time was like there. That actually was probably the neatest thing I've ever done in my career, only because it was like the greatest jumping off point that you can imagine. I went into an office full of people that are more than happy to be mentors and to be able to help you with mm -hmm. cases, gave you a chance to second seat cases for a while until you felt confident as an attorney. So it was like a, a super place to start. Um, sure. And because I was a nurse, I started out actually prosecuting doctors and nurses. Oh. But then tired quickly of that. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and a job opened up, or the, the position opened up to be um, counsel for Department of Agriculture. So I made that switch and, and never looked back. It was... Yeah. It was a good 10 years, really, that I worked as the uh, counsel for Department of Agriculture. Awesome. Worked with some great people. Um, mm -hmm. The one commissioner that I thoroughly enjoyed was uh, Tom Corliss. Oh. And, uh, and his wife is actually, uh, was Justice Corliss, Justice Becky Corliss. So... It was a wonderful family to work with and, and really neat people to know and um, a real powerhouse within the ag industries. So Absolutely. That was a lot of fun. What are some of the things that you did in that role that pertain to agriculture? And You know, probably one of the, the most fascinating things that I did with the commissioner was um, he decided to take on the issue of predator control in Colorado. Oh. And so how and how it was truly impacting primarily the sheep industry, but also cattle industry as well. So we did kind of a traveling road show to try to educate people about predators and what the control was like and why we might need to have some additional regulations. Sure. So that was kind of a fun thing of working not only with Tom but having to interface with those from wildlife as well as um, every animal organization you can imagine. So it was a, a lengthy process in order to get some rulemaking done with that. So that one was really intensive and fun and traveled all over the state to do that. Some of the other things I did were, were you know typical cases that you'd run into with um, yeah, and we would do animal cruelty cases, work on uh, regulatory aspects of you know anybody from gosh an aerial applicator, uh, you know, on to any other type of ag uh, ag industry or ag producer that might have an issue with the department. So, gotcha. So lots of things. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, how long were you in that role? About ten years wow. out of my career. So yeah, saw some things, didn't you? I did. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, actually, the only other thing that was really kind of fun in, during my tenure there was we developed a marketing order for the Colorado wine industry. Oh. It was one of the very first, um, that was my first experience with a, a marketing order, and it was a real baby industry at that point. So it was fun to watch that grow into what we have today within Colorado wines. So that was kind of a fun thing to, to do That's and be involved cool. with. Who doesn't love some good wine? Some good That's Colorado right. wine. There nice. you go. <laughs> I like it. Let's um, hop more present day. Um, I'd love to hear more about what you teach at CSU and what your experience is like at the university. I actually teach agricultural law and um, I just teach in the fall so it's a class that's 
mandatory for ag business students and then it's also um, taken pretty frequently by equine science students as well as some other ag students and then also pre-law students. So the classrooms are a really neat mixture yeah. of people from different uh, different backgrounds and different knowledge bases. So I, I teach 54 in-class students, 30, 33 I think online students because I teach wow. the online class as well. That's a big, that's a good number. That's a, that's a few people. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to keep track, yes, Yeah, that definitely. many students, so that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I had to take that class, and I wish that you were teaching it then. <laughs> it was fun, though, um, and I just remember learning, I mean, the whole gamut of things, really. We got to dabble, I think, um, mm -hmm. so I'm sure that you get to kind of play with that, too, in your course selection and, yep. and work. Yeah, it's kind of a neat introductory course because you, you kind of get pieces and parts of everything from contracts to property law to sure. you know whatever whatever topic that would seem to fit within that, that big class of yeah. agricultural law. Do you have a favorite topic? You know, the, the favorite thing I actually like to teach is um, I work with the students every Friday of just doing some discussions on their own, of, of letting them oh. teach themselves. And those are my most fun days because it's really fun watching them interact and then being able to present their own thoughts. That's learning. I want to I want to help them think rather than having Spooky. me just yeah stand up there and lecture for some purpose so that's so cool. The other thing I teach at CSU is I kind of float in and out of the equine sciences program. So I teach um, first years within equine science and then usually come back and then do some additional work when they hit the capstones. So that's been kind of fun too. Definitely. What do you teach there? The first years we work a lot with on buying and selling horses because that seems to be kind of an area where they usually get caught quickly. Um, we talk about boarding, um, some things that, that kind of the first year student might encounter. And then in the capstone we talk a lot about liability of equine industries how to set up your equine operation within the law as far as any kind of releases or that kind of issue that you might run into. So that one's just more kind of practical on, on getting your own business started. Absolutely. So practical. I think a lot of students go into CSU or other colleges that offer an equine science program and think, I love horses and I'm going to be a trainer. But then it's that whole business side that yeah. they really need to understand as well. And that's what college is for. And they need someone like you on their team then to help them write those contracts and move that needle. Um, do you do a lot of that locally uh, for different boarding facilities and trainers and that kind of thing? I actually do. I do a lot of business startup because most of the business startup I do is going to be within the equine industry. So we talk a lot about well what what do you want to do what is your operation going to look like and how are you going to deal with your employees and kind of just going from the very basics of helping them work through the various steps to get to where they want to be and then helping them draft the documents that we might need to get there whether it is a contract or a release or a land lease or whatever it might be sure that sounds like fun to me. I think that'd be fun. Business startup is fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's um, hop over and talk about flying our ranch um, and your family's business. So mm -hmm. what is it? What do you guys do? You know, tell me about the ranch. The ranch was something that we... Um gosh, we purchased two years ago now. And when we bought it, it had been inactive for quite some time. It had one poor elderly horse that came Aww. with the property, who still <laughs> is our horse in boarding. But so what we did with that is it's, uh, it's owned by my husband and I and my son. And we, we wanted a place where we could do not only our training and keep our own horses, but also board horses and encourage people to, to come on board to do instruction and training there. So started out, as I said, with the one little elderly mare. We added our, ours on top of that. And now at this point, we're pushing the maximum that we can, we can have out there under um, zoning regulations. So wow. 
it's kind of a fun facility, I think. It's um, we have an indoor arena, we've got an outdoor arena, we've got a couple of round pins, um, got a hot walker. So it's kind of whatever you could imagine using, you know, with yeah. your horse to enjoy your horse. And we've done a couple of clinics and things like, you know, things to bring the public out. So totally, yeah. It's beautiful. It's a great facility. And it's it's kind of one of those that you drive past and you never know that all the great things are there. And then you get on property and you're like, wow, <laughs> they've got everything. We're kind of tucked back. So yeah, we're not yeah. totally visible from the road, but yeah. That's a great place to be. Oh, it's so great. Was it obvious when you started out, probably not since you started in nursing, that this is where you would end up now as, as a lawyer and running your own firm? You know, it really wasn't. I mean, it seriously wasn't. I guess what I always thought is I would, you know, that nursing was really where I wanted to be. And then realized that, you know, maybe, you know, I, I didn't really like nursing management. And I just wanted a, a different challenge. So I don't know that, I mean, I hate to tell students that I did this, but I did this. Um, <laughs> I flipped a coin to see what I was going to do, basically, and, and um, took the exams for both the LSAT and the MCAT. I was thinking about medical school at that time. Yeah. Sent out my applications and did whichever one I passed and whichever one I got into first was what I was going to do. So it was real scientific. <laughs> I love that. So, yep, the LSAT was good. And I got into DU, and, and so here I am now. Wow. It's worked out for you. So. It has, yeah. It's been great. <laughs> Can you talk about um, entrepreneurship in general and just working for yourself and you get to be your own boss and what's that like? You know, it, it sounds exciting. And, and again, <laughs> this is like one of those fallacies. It's like exciting. I'm going to yeah. do it. But then you don't realize that like you have to get your own janitor to come in and clean your office. True. And you have to do your own billing and you got, <laughs> you know, do your, get your taxes out the door. So it's like, there's a lot to learn of just the how to operate a business. You know, there's there weren't a lot of resources at that time for attorneys. Now I think we're getting better at doing that. There's actually resources available to say, okay, how do I do a startup of my office? Then it was more of, okay, well, I'm doing it. And <laughs> now what do I have to do after I get right. there? So it's kind of a learn as you go. Gotcha. Um, but it, it was a challenge, sure. But yeah. it was, I think it was a great move for me. What's next for you? I mean, what are you hoping to learn next or someplace you're hoping to go next in your career and uh, what's on the horizon? The one thing I would really like to develop more um, within my practice, there's not a lot of people in Colorado who are skilled in the horse racing industry. Uh -huh. And while we don't have the biggest industry, I think it's definitely a need area that I would really like to develop more. So in kind of that interest, yearly I go to Kentucky to, to study it. There's like a, a continuing education program put on by University of Kentucky at Keeneland Racetrack, and it's focused solely on racing. Taking that kind of information back and, and trying to figure out how to apply it here in Colorado making the contacts that, that might be needed so that if there's something comes up at the track, you would be the one called. I'd really like to, to develop that a lot more as, as part of the a part of my practice. The other thing I'd really like to do is add more teaching. I really thoroughly enjoy that. So there's a couple other opportunities that might not be at CSU. So That's kind, of, amazing. kind of in my thoughts as well. That's so cool. Always learning, always growing, always doing something. And I'm going to Watch out for that. Watching the racing industry here in Colorado. And we do. We have some, but it's, like you said, it's nothing compared to Kentucky, but what a great place to go learn. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, and it's, it's kind of a fun industry in Colorado because uh, the folks that I have worked with thus far are primarily Spanish-speaking. If you can communicate with them, you have a leg up on, on really getting their interest as well. So. Yeah. 
take those Spanish classes, people. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) You have so much wisdom and so much advice to give, I know. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say? You know, thinking back, if I even think about what, is there anything I would do over necessarily? Probably not. Having lots of different experiences was probably enriched my life. You know, some people looking from the outside might have thought that it was more stopping than starting, but <laughs> to me it was like it was an adventure, you know, and I, I, it all melds eventually as you as you go along. So, I mean, I think to, for that piece that was, I don't think I would change that. The one thing I would change, and it's only because my son reminds me of it totally, is I can't discipline my children for a lot of things that they do because they're, they still haven't reached my level of some of the things <laughs> I did back as a as a young adult. So, but I, I guess I wouldn't change that either. I mean, I had a good time. That's about all I can say. That's a good thing. What advice do you have for anyone that's looking to get into the equine industry as a professional? I guess what I would really suggest is think carefully through exactly what do you want to do and how marketable it is. Um, I I think kind of, um, you know, if you come out of an equine program and your thought is that you're going to go buy a big facility and you're going to run that, I think a lot of times the process to do that, you don't quite realize is how expensive that is for one and that maybe that's something that's a goal 10 years down the road, but not now. So it's more of a kind of a mapping, I guess, in your mind of where do you want to go with that, and then have some backup plans. I think sometimes, especially students come out and, and just kind of throw up their hands of, well, I can't afford this, so now i got to do, what am I going to do? Right. And, and it's more of just kind of that thinking through stages. You know, okay, what do, where do I think I can be in five years? Where can I be in 10 years? And that's give yourself that flexibility to be able to change directions because I think that's just human mm-hmm. nature. You know, and you're not the first person um, on the podcast to talk about give yourself permission to change your mind. Well, I had a poor student come to me that was, was like really had been set up since childhood who wanted to be a veterinarian and gets into the veterinarian program and hates every one of the science oh classes. And so the, the discussion was, what do I do now? And yeah. it's like, I don't know, what do you, what would you like to do? Right. This is okay. You gave yeah. it a try. And if that's really not where you want to be, there's other ways to go. So yeah. I think, yeah, give yourself permission to be, be flexible. It's hard to do, but I gave myself that. That's great. All right, well, let's talk horses. I mean, that's, that's what this podcast is about. That's what the Equine Network is about. So what is your most memorable case with horses? If you can share it. Um, what I can do is go back on one from the AG's office. And okay. it was really, it was, um, actually it was a horse collector, horse abuse case, which it doesn't sound like something that would be very exciting because it's a pretty depressing kind of situation. And what you see, I think, with collectors is what they see is not what you see. I mean, they see mm-hmm. a nice herd of beautiful horses. You go there and you see horses that are starved, um, carcasses in the in the soil. I mean, it's just... Yeah, typically, it's usually horrific. But what made this one somewhat unique was I, it's hard to imagine a case that has much more drama than this one had. The, the finger pointing start when we caught the woman with, with her horses. Then she started finger pointing to other ranchers because she had had her horses running out on their land, and so they must be at fault. So I think I interviewed ranchers for at least three counties wide to try to track down where exactly did you know do these activities occur. And then we tried working with her for a while, and, and that didn't work, um, even to the extent of how do you confine your stud to keep the production down. Sure. You know, just some of the real practicalities, that didn't work. And then when we really did have to kind of crack down is when the drama started um, with ramming a sheriff's car, um, oh guns gosh. getting 
pulled. I got chased down the mountain um, in a state car, which before kids, I was actually raced Porsches. That was one of my entertaining things to do. So I'm a pretty good driver on, on various courses. That was yeah. a great experience there in the state car of like flying down the mountain oh to try gosh. to get rid of this person on my tail. So that one, I think, had some interesting dynamics to it. Um, but I, I think it was, you know, kind of going back to why is that important in the horse industry. I think it's really important for everyone to be observant of what might be going on even around you, other stables, neighboring properties or whatever, and make those reports so that the regulators can get in and, and do something to handle it because they're truly horrific kind of situations for animals involved. That's a crazy story. Oh my gosh. I, I can't even imagine being in that situation. But what I can picture is you driving the car. <laughs> I can picture Kathy in the, in the car chase. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, well let's talk um, horse industry recommendations. Do you have products that you like to use, um, an event you've gone to maybe, just anything under the sun horse related that you think our listeners might also like? The one thing that we just did recently, and um, it's kind of a fun thing, is Dave Denniston, who teaches at CSU as well, um, mm -hmm. has a program where he teaches judges to be better judges. And the way he does that is he puts on a couple shows a year where you can just come and, and kind of have fun. You can bring in youngster horses. You can see if they'll run through the various programs with him. Um, you can get the feedback from sometimes six to eight judges, depending upon how many people he's got working with him. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's something that I think is a lot of fun of, of not only learning how you be a judge, but also learning how to really show a young horse where you don't need to stress them out, but you can still have a good time and, and sure. you know, take them through their paces and see where that where that goes. So I guess the, the point being on that is, um, you know, take a look around what's in your local, your area here and really support what's in your area because it, it just, the, the rewards spin off of that pretty drastically. So Absolutely. I guess that would be one example yeah. of some things that I think are really fun. To take a look at. That's a great recommendation and I think uh, the university is such a great resource for things like that too so and not just CSU but you know across the country mm -hmm. there's so many great resources at your university so right. check it out. Do you have a non-horse recommendation so something in your life that um, you really enjoy so we can kind of get to know you a little bit and also something that people might want to know about and you think would be interesting. I was trying to think of something that would be non-horse and it's going to be a sports related thing. Um, Perfect. I I took up skiing when I was a kid. I mean, I was—I still was like a grade schooler and got shoved on the little, little bus that left, you know, at five o'clock in the morning every weekend. <laughs> then you'd come back at the end of the day. So that is something I still truly love. Um, I like to ski. My son snowboards and skis, and so that to me is like an amazingly. Um, relaxing kind of activity and something that I thoroughly enjoy all winter and for me winter is one of my favorite seasons so I, I think probably because I do a lot of snow related things <laughs> so that's something I would encourage everyone to give it a try and come you know. to Colorado to do it I'm there just you saying go. <laughs> yep. and you know we have some other things in Colorado the ski areas that just and I'm just sort of back to horses almost but I mean where else do you have skijoring you can go up and watch that we have the the National Western Stock Show in, in winter and Steamboat receives all the cowboys for one day of the most hilarious skiing <laughs> race that you could ever imagine. But cowboys come up and compete in their chaps and, and try to ski if some of them 
do it well, others don't, but it's like a totally entertaining event. So there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, just to look around and find the yeah. To go experience. Come on out to Colorado in the winter because go. <laughs> we've got it all. Do you have a favorite uh, ski resort in the state? I love Steamboat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just like the atmosphere at Steamboat. It's more Western. It's more laid back. Yeah. Um, really friendly. Love it. Yep. Can't go wrong with any of those things. <laughs> I might be biased too. Okay. Well, then we're going to play our game. So I'm just going to say this or that, and you're just going to pick one. Okay. You don't have to give me any reasoning whatsoever for why. Um, just first thing that comes to your mind, what you like most. Okay. Ready? I'm okay. ready. English or Western? Western. Mares or Geldings? Mares. Bumper pool or gooseneck? Gooseneck. On the trail or in the arena? In the arena. Fish or steak? Steak. Coffee or tea? Coffee. John Wayne or Clint Eastwood? John Wayne. <laughs> Law and Order or CSI? Mm, CSI. Mm, good choice. <laughs> do you have a digital planner or do you handwrite your planner? Both. Both. Good. <laughs> For work, do you prefer phone calls or emails? Emails. Are you a Ford or Chevy person? Ford. Porsche, I guess, right? Well, yeah, if I could afford that. <laughs> now it's a Ford. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Hunting or fishing? Um, hunting. When you ski, is it downhill or is it cross country? Downhill. Downhill. When have you have to have the speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Uh, when you travel, do you like to drive or fly? I like to drive. Would you rather receive roses or daisies? Roses. Would you rather have a pet fish or a pet lizard? Fish. <laughs> she still made a face, though, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Pumpkins or gourds? Pumpkins. And then do you like your fall weather wet or dry? Both. Both. I, like the, I like early snow, so probably wet. I think we're going to get one next week. Next Thursday. That's <gasps> what I've heard. Fingers crossed. Perfect. Well, that is everything that I have for you. You covered a lot. <laughs> you have had an amazing life and you have, you offered some really phenomenal advice. So thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. your journey with us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for riding along. Know someone that would be great to interview? Have questions you'd like answered on the podcast? Send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com or join the conversation on social media. You can connect with us and learn more about the Beyond the Saddle podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at, at beyondthesaddlepodcast. Find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Beyond the Saddle is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network.